Welcome to our social landscape. I'm J.R. Woodward, and my guest on this episode is musician and skateboarding legend Tommy Guerrero. Tommy grew up in San Francisco and is of Chilean and Ohlone descent. The Ohlone, originally known as the Costanoan tribe in Northern California, were one of the hardest hit tribes during the California genocide of the mid-1800s. Thousands of indigenous folks were kidnapped, raped, and killed by various state authorities and militias in the 20 years or so after the Mexican-American War, fueled by the gold rush, and the Costanoans made up a large chunk of the victims. Tommy began skateboarding as a youngster and was eventually recruited by Stacy Peralta and George Powell to be an original member of the Bones Brigade. Tony Hawk, Rodney Mullen, Mike McGill, Lance Mountain, and Steve Caballero rounded out the original team of skaters, recruited from all over the country for the various skill sets each brought to the table. They skated in competitions and exhibitions around the world for a few years, as well as starred in a few iconic movies. Towards the end of his skating career, he and Jim Thibault co-founded Real Skateboards, and he's still involved in the company 30 years later. Not long after he began skating, Tommy started to experiment with music, eventually forming a punk band with his brother. Music took a back seat for a while during his skating career, but eventually he circled back around to it and released his first full-length album in 1997. Over the ensuing years, he's released or appeared on dozens of albums, both as a solo artist and as a collaborator in groups like Jet Black Crayon, Black Top Project, and Lord Newborn and the Magic Skulls with Sean Lee. I first approached him because he struck me as a really unique cultural actor. As a person of color who's a professional skateboarder and a professional musician, I wanted to hear how he views his role as someone who is really and truly involved in our social landscape. Over the course of an hour or so, we chatted and battled some technical difficulties with Zoom from San Francisco here to me in Jacksonville Beach about how he became involved in skating and in music and how the two have always gone together. We also touch on the commercialization of skating and a potential roadmap towards a more inclusive and uplifting future. Will this change everything in time? Stuck in between the blame we see Halfway in I'll lose my mind Is that cause we feel like we're fading? Will this change everything in time? Stuck in between the blame we see Can you uh, maybe just as a background walk me through kind of your bio Just how you went from moved into skating and then from skating into music Just like the life of Tommy Guerrero in, in 25 words or less? Uh, you know, I started skating in '75. Uh, I was nine, um, and f- I started playing music about three about three years later, around '78, maybe '79. Um, me and my brother grew up in San Francisco with my mom, single mom, raising two boys. Um, we often lived with my aunt and uncle and their kids, um, on and off in different uh, configurations for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Usually, you know. Uh, financial (laughs) lack of um and then so me and my brother grew up skating in the city with a bunch of friends and and when punk rock hit the west coast we got really into that around 1978 79 we seen the ramones for free down at city hall in san francisco and that kind of really opened up a new world to us so we started playing music um and we had a bunch of different punk bands uh, up until 1984 um, we played our last show was Ang- angry Samoans and, uh, suicidal tendencies. Right. And then after that, my skating really started taking off. I turned pro in 1985. And so I traveled a lot and I couldn't, um, maintain a band cause I was always, you know, away. The solo music thing just happened after that when I was 
18 or so, I bought my first four track and drum machine with my first check from skateboarding. Okay. Wow. I lived on the floor at a friend's house, paid him rent, mm-hmm. but I had priorities, which were music. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, and then, so after that, you know, I just, uh, did a lot of traveling with Powell uh, up until the early '90s, and then after that, me and some me and a good friend uh, were co-founders of Real Skateboards that are out of Deluxe Distribution in San Francisco. We started that over 30 years ago, and that's where I've been ever since. Okay, so you're still involved in that, and you're still playing music and touring when COVID's not, not yeah rampaging around the world. Yeah. Um, so Powell Peralta, that's where you started. That's where the the first check came from. That from when you're 18. Or- yeah. Yep, and that's and that was called the Bones Brigade. Is there? There was a crew of us, um, and you know, it was it was a um, sort of a manufactured sort of uh, marketing um, a deal. But we were all skaters picked from various parts of the country for various skill sets. Really, you know. Yeah, I looked it up. Um, I've heard of it, but didn't know much about it. I, you know, it's it's funny because I um, came into you as through music. I was a DJ at Montana State. I was a professor there, and I have a campus radio. You know, so I was DJ, and I listened to uh, your music, and then gradually learned more about you and realized the skating thing. And I didn't grow up skating, so I just you know, but I have one or two friends that did, and so. I asked them and they're like, yeah, of course we know Tom Aguero and the Bones Brigade. You know, anybody who's picked up a skateboard knows the Bones Brigade. You know, I'm like, well, how about that? You know, so then I just started learning more and more. So, um, so that, that you do have a lot going on. So in sociology, we got to do some jargon. We talk a lot about um, an individual's status set, which is like all the different statuses that one holds. You know, we have a lot over the course of our life and they all rotate around like a master status, we call it, which is kind of like the primary, maybe identifying characteristic. So how do you, see yourself you know in this regard like if you had to choose one master status like uh athlete athlete or musician or artist or person of color because you know we talk about your background a little bit like do you see yourself primarily as as one particular way or can you not separate them out i cannot separate them out um i would like to think of myself as just a creative person okay you know i'm a father so obviously that's number one yeah (laughs) right right yeah. Although, although there's overlap, uh, I'd like to start maybe just talking about the skateboarding for a minute, and uh, then we can move, move to music at some point. But if the overlap presents itself in any of these questions, feel free to, you know, kind of to jump in and, and, and indulge us. Um, so you do stay active in the skateboarding world through real. Um, you follow it all really closely. Who's skating everywhere around the world and all of it. You're still really in, in, engrossed or are you kind of just on the business end of it these days? Oh, no. Um, well, I'm fortunate that I, I don't. <laughs> I used to have a, a, a certain role at the company, and now I've pulled back. A lot of my role at the company was um, at the creative end. I was doing a lot of graphic design and ad layout and so forth. Um, but I pulled back from that because I was starting to get like carpal tunnel, you know, repetitive stress disorder. And yeah. uh, so <clears throat> right now, I'm, I'm really just. Um, I don't know what, I don't know what my role is an, an ambassador more so to be honest. And, I, and I've been doing some graphic design stuff, you know, just some art stuff and doing boards. Um, but, but for the most part, I'm really um, just more, more music based right now. Mm-hmm. On the, the webpage for real, there's a, a quote. It says um, the fact that skateboarding can be a positive force for change is a belief that we have held since starting real and will never forget. How is skateboarding a force for what kind of uh, change? And like, did you always view skating as that way or 
and it just manifested different when you were 14 versus now, or did that kind of view of skateboarding as a culture and a social change or a changer develop as you were involved in the sport? Uh, it really started, you know, later. <clears throat> I mean, when, when you're young, you're just doing what you love to do. You're not conscious of any type of change or any sort of message that you're sending or, and, or anything. You're just, I mean, it's really a sort of a solo activity. That's one of the beauties about it. But when we started real, part of the deal was we wanted to do things differently than the rest of the skate industry. And one was, you know, the board is a vehicle for your voice if you want it to be. And so, um, a lot of the graphics we did were, you know, socially charged, you know, Jim Thebo, my partner, he had a board. The first one was a hanging Klansman oh, and we wow. got a lot of shit for that. We got a lot of letters. He got calls from like the grand wizard of the KKK. <laughs> yeah. Like for real. Wow. And, um, you know, so that was one aspect that we really believed in. And another was when you used to go out and do demonstrations because that was part of skateboarding back in the day. It's not so much anymore, not not like it was. Um, we invited everybody to skate with us, so it was much more inclusive. Uh, and that was never done. It was usually like, you know, the dog and pony show right. where, hey, you go out, you do your thing, people watch, and then you sign autographs and so forth. But uh, we just wanted it to be more of a sort of um, just a good time for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also do a thing called actions realized where we'll, if there's somebody in need within the skate community and, and, and beyond, um, we will do a skateboard graphic and information based on whatever's going on and the proceeds will go to that person or that organization. And we've been doing, been doing that for, I don't know, maybe 15 years, it could be, could be more, could be a couple decades at this point. Wow. Um, yeah, just trying to use skateboarding, you know, as, a vehicle for, you know, positivity, really mm-hmm. trying to get others to realize how much of a positive impact skateboarding has on young people. Um, and because, you know, it had been demonized for so long mm-hmm. and so many skaters have turned out to be such incredible people, a lot of creative people, a lot of people who moved into photography and, and fine painting and, and uh, videography and, and movies and so forth, directors and, right. and designers and you, you just name it. Um, so skateboarding just teaches you so much throughout life that you, you'll carry with you. You know, you fall down, right? I mean, you get up every time. It's a saying is you fall down seven, you get up eight. Wow. And I mean, that's going to stick with you. And so it builds this sense of like real sense of tenacity and grit and perseverance into a character. So whenever you go on to do whatever the next thing is you're going to do, because skateboarding, you age out in the sense of it's so physical that you just can't do it anymore on any, any competitive level. So you carry that stuff with you into the next, into your next, uh, you know, chapter. And, you know, after throwing yourself into the cement for 30, 40 years, (laughs) everything else is fucking, you know, fluff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably why I sucked at it because I just didn't like feeling pain. <laughs> so I was yeah. like, finding a new sport quick. <laughs> yeah, it's not for everyone. You know, you'll you'll find that out. And the thing is about skateboarding, which I love, is um, you'll have a lot of uh, people getting into skating, young people, you know, at all levels. And and the truth is, not everyone's a skater who has a skateboard, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. But those who take the hits and keep getting up and keep trying, regardless of their ability, they're skaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that being kind of a line of demarcation, kind of. Yeah, yeah, com- completely. Mm-hmm.
Thinking about how skateboarding has changed, uh, there's a sociologist named Mike Lore, and he's a professor at Aquinas College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and he's um, written about skating, and he's written about punk music. If you allow me, I'd just like to read a quote from one of his articles and hear, hear your thoughts on it. He said, prior to 1991, individuals and collectives involved in the practice of skateboarding constructed and embodied a subcultural outsider identity. And some subcultures organize style and behavior into life practices as part of a strategy to destabilize the political environment and create environments where progressive change is possible. However, starting in the early 90s and continuing with greater intensity into the 2000s, individuals and collectives started to shift the practice of skateboarding to construct and embody a, quote, normal mainstream commercialized identity. And I think about the X Games and now it's in the Olympics, things like that. So how did that process happen? And can you have both? Can you have it be commercialized, but also still have this kind of uh, outsider ethos or want to challenge the status quo ethos if it's in the Olympics and things like that? Could they go together or has it just shifted a different dynamic? No, it, it completely exists. I mean, like any, like anything in life, you know, like people, you know, there's a dichotomy to everything and, you know, skateboarding, is they're still super hardcore skateboarders doing, you know, building DIY spots all over the world all the time. And then, then you have, you know, something like the Olympics um, that, you know, that stuff comes to be usually from the corporate end of things. And, and also the desire for certain types of skaters to want to be part of that. You know, I, I can understand like if I was, if Olympics were around in the eighties when I was at my, you know, peak of skateboarding and you know i had the opportunity to enter of course i would sure. you know i would have totally done it just because the fact of my family you know my mom could say you know my son's in the olympics i mean i'm super proud of him and you know because skateboarding was so looked down upon right. you know i have my own feelings about the olympics and and all the corporate uh you know uh involvement um but you're not going to escape it um, they buy their way in. So if they tell a skater, Hey, we're going to pay you a million dollars a year. It's like, Hell yeah. there's a company like ours could compete with anything of that nature. Cause you know, skateboard companies, the way they're based are you have your board, you have your name on a board and you get royalties from that board. Okay. And that's usually it. But, but you know, a lot of times you have a safety net now where you have, let's say a minimum guarantee of 1500 a month okay. and anything makes say sales wise above that you get. And when I was doing it, there was no safety net. It was, if you sold one board a month, you got a dollar. If you sold 10,000, you got 10,000. That was it. It was, it was pretty, um, you know, it, it fluctuated so greatly that you're just, you know, it was hard to uh, know what you were, where you were going to be at the, each month. Mm -hmm. So I do think they definitely uh, coexist for sure, because we're, we're kind of seen as, you know, deluxes, one of them, the, the hardcore company in skateboarding. And we had, I think, one, one skater, one pro skater from our board company from Real in the Olympics, and then several other skaters who ride for our other companies, Thunder Trucks or, mm -hmm. or Spitfire Wheels, et cetera. And the truth is, you know, skateboarding, skateboarding, and I love seeing it 
see, I loved watching it yeah. just because out there just ripping the, the level um, of where they're at in the commitment and the, um, you know, the technicality and consistency of what's happening now in skateboarding is insane. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Um, so the whole idea of like the subculture and where we were back then, of course, because there was, we made it, there was nothing else, you know, <laughs> that was what we were doing. And it was outlaw and it was the same, you know, the seventies, you know, jumping in, jumping fences to ride pools. And then in the, you know, in the eighties, when we were skating, skating the streets and skating the hills and, and uh, you know, getting chased by cops everywhere and still the same thing. Um, and it still happens to this day. I mean, you know, it's definitely not all mainstream by any, by any means. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I think the concern is, um, you know, like, the, like you said, the corporate world just kind of like absorbs any sort of um, defiance and, and profits off it, you know, like kind of commercial, well, yeah. like, like the black gets, lives matter, you know, they've got the, on the ba- baseball fields, they're putting it up there and stuff, but it's just a way to continue to make money. You know, that, that was kind of the concern. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's, and it's, but it gives them credibility is the thing. Um, they go in and they buy the credibility. That's, yeah. That's, they're trying to at least. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what they're trying. So um, yeah. So if it's a sport, you know, like if, and it's now it's a sport, I, I guess we would say it's a, um, you know, a, an accepted quote unquote validated by power authorities, if they're going to put it in the Olympics and sports are socially created, you know, we decide what they are, you know, sports skateboarders were not considered athletes back in the what sixties or something, probably compared to now, you know, so we can create those things and, and make them as we go since they're human constructs. And so maybe there's still a way to blend or combine the more, um, the more oppositional progressive elements of it with, you know, the, what we see now of these top skaters that are going to the Olympics and things like that. I mean, that seems like that'd be a hope at least, but. Yeah. I mean, I never viewed skateboarding as a sport. You know, I still don't. Um, it's a very individualistic thing. It's, um, you know, it's more of a way to exist and live than any sport. I mean, you know, you know, like yeah. we don't have teams, we don't have numbers, we don't have stats. Yeah. We don't do that shit. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause you do, you know, there's, there are sports that are individual, you know, like tennis, golf or something like that, but there's competitions. And I think a lot of people, that's their definition of sport. You know, is if there's competitions, then it must be, you know, it must be a sport, but there's, there's a lot of, a lot of the sports like tennis. I mean, you need someone else to play tennis with. Right. And, right. um, you know, with skateboarding, you just walk out your door and go, you don't need, you don't need a facility. You don't need anyone else. You just need you and your board. Um, so I don't know. I, I just don't view it as a sport because my my view of sports is very different because growing up, um, you know, skateboarding and, and punk rock music, I used to get a lot of grief from the jocks, you know, from all, all of them, you know. Um, and so we just viewed sports as this, you know, conformist um, sort of way of, of, I don't know, being or what you these people thought they were supposed to do. Yeah. You know, well, what you do, you join, do the sports and you and you, you know, and a lot of those people were just not cool people, <laughs> right, right? You know, but they, you know, back then they just didn't like us, you know, right. for whatever. They feared us because we were different. Usually, that's usually what it is. Sure, yeah, it's not understanding, you know, and that produces fear. I think sometimes, you know, they can't easily kind of put you in a category or peg you or something that makes it fearful. You know? Yeah.
before we dive into music real quick, maybe just briefly about some social differentiation. So um, you're a person of color, your background, you have Ohlone, you have some other elements of your background that you could yeah. maybe talk about, but did that inform your, your views or your experiences in skateboarding or anything being a person of color? Um, no, I wasn't real conscious of it, you know, early on, it wasn't until later um, when I really started just reading about, you know, a lot of history, you know, in America and what was going on, you know, I was always hip to a lot of it because my mom, you know, was uh, really um, progressive and liberal growing up in San Francisco. And, you know, we had friends of all walks of life. And so just, you know, I just started delving into more about like black history and stuff and reading, you know, um, autobiography of, you know, Malcolm X, reading about COINTELPRO and reading about, you know, AIM, American Indian Movement and, and all this stuff. And, you know, just, just a, a greater understanding of the mass oppression, attempted genocide on the indigenous people and so forth. And it, uh, it just, it's angering. Is what is what really happened? You know, I was young and full of fire, and uh, so you know, I started you know putting some messages here and there on my on my boards and and so forth. Um, the other side of that coin is, you know, I don't identify, really don't identify as any culture or community other than skateboarding. I mean, that's that's really who I am. I'm a skateboarder, and my my life and how I've been informed by living in America, by living in San Francisco specifically, um, you know, that's more of, of, of who I am than any sort of, uh, you know, ethnic background, because I didn't grow up with any of that in my family. My, the Ohlone and my father's side, Chilean, um, you know, I, ne- I didn't grow up with that with my father and he um, had three brothers and my grandfather and my grandmother, they're all musicians. My, my father and the three brothers grew up playing in the Fillmore district in San Francisco. My grandfather was a jazz guitarist. My uh, grandmother was a vocalist. And I have these photographs from the forties of them playing in the central Valley. And um, so I didn't know about any of that until my grandmother passed away. Oh, wow. I mean, brother's a musician. It, what, he's a great guitar player. And so we have been playing music the whole entire time without really knowing any of that history. So it's definitely genetic. It's in the blood. Something's passed down. So, yeah. So, so, you know, I just identify really as a skateboarder if I have to identify other, anything other than, a, you know, human being. Well, not even a musician, still a skateboarder, number one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the, uh, that's great. Yeah. That's a great story. I didn't know that background was so musical, but it, it makes sense. Um, and, you know, you see it in skateboarding, like you're right, you brought up the the people that have gone on to do film and all these different things or Ray Barbie, right? Like he's a great, yeah. great guitarist. And the Matt, oh, it's just, yeah, yeah he, we, I got him on the team actually. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so I've known Ray since he was a kid wow. and, uh, and, you know, we have a band together called Blacktop Project, you know, and we have a few albums out. And um, so we've, you know, we've been, you know, skating and playing music together for years. You did something with uh, Sean. Uh, Sean Lee. Sean Lee, yeah. Um, yeah, and Money Mark. There we go. Yeah, what's the name of that fun? Uh, uh, that that <laughs> was uh, Lord New Magic Skulls. Yeah, there you go. That's a fun one. I love, that's a fun album, too. Yeah. So yeah, there's so much going on uh, in that community. All right, so personal color. What about the role of women? Um, you know, they don't show up a lot in these old videos or 
you know, is this an avenue of social expression and activism that's off limits for women or like yeah. surfing, you know, surfing the same, but you see more female surfers now. I think they're making inroads. How is that going in, in skating? Is it possible it, for them to be in the same spot? It's huge right now. The, the, the influx of female skaters in the last five years has been massive mm-hmm. and, and it's great. Um, you know, it, the diversity is, you know, we need more diversity, just like anything. You get different points of view. Yeah. And so, and right now, yeah, skating is huge within, um, it's just huge within uh, all walks of life right now. It's, it, uh, during the, you know, the pandemic and the shutdown, skateboarding grew exponentially. It was wild. Um, so yeah, there's definitely like, uh, you know, room for, for women skaters. A lot of uh, teams have female pros, um, the, you know, the Olympics, yeah. um, happened and um there's some young women who there's some who are going to start rival rivaling the men for sure yeah so they started you said five years ago um so covid probably explains part of that was there another reason that women started to have a bigger influx into the sport well i think i think you know back in the 80s there was there was a bunch of uh, uh female skaters um and i don't know if it was a lack of representation you know, that why we didn't see other, other women skaters or if they actually stopped skating. Mm. I I don't know what it was. Um, I have a feeling that there was a lack of representation. Um, But, but even then, you know, from the eighties to the nineties into the early two thousands, if you were, if you go anywhere and uh, whether it be a contest or a demonstration, skate park, et cetera, there was really very few women out there. Um, and, but I think now with so much of the representation happening, they see, it's just like anything you, you get inspired. You're like, oh, wow, they're doing it. You know, we could do it, whatever it is. Um, and so I do think that a lot, there's a lot of that at play. And I do think that people, um, and young women have realized that skateboarding is super fun <laughs> and, You're and, and, and I do want to believe that it's very inclusive because it has been all my life, um, regardless of your um status or your station um so yeah it's it's been fun to see good yeah that's what i was wondering um again because i I don't have a skater background but um i know about it from various you know kind of readings and this and that but i didn't grow up in skate parks and whatnot but like you know is it a liberating space or is it really a liberating space just for kind of you know cisgendered white male middle-class dudes you know and i know in the early days it was probably a bigger mix but then so it's good to hear that um there's it's opening up or you know more women are back maybe that time if if, correct me if i'm wrong but there was that period when authorities really shut down skating or really just tried to to shut it down and that's when everybody starts making their own their own decks and things like that and if that's if there's a time where there's repression that's even heavier than usual then the most marginalized people are going to feel it the heaviest which would be women because they'd already have less status in their communities and things like that and then yeah they're probably going to be the first to fall because you know they're they're the ones that are kind of just getting into the sport or still trying to get respect in the sport or things like that sorry to keep using the word sport in the activity and the creativity and the artistry whatever you want to call it so i don't know i just i'm just thinking off the top of my head but i just remember uh, from the documentary there was that really dark period where people just they just went after skating and people are like how are we going to pay our bills and, and stuff and so if that's true then that's not a good time for women to try to enter the sport 
Yeah, that was during the uh, late 70s and early 80s when all the skate parks shut down. And so that's when things went to, you know, because uh, a lot of skateboarding at the time was vertical skateboarding at, the, at that time. It was all ramps and pools, bowls. Right. Um, so when all the parks closed, everything went to the backyards, you know, backyard ramps. And at that same time, that's when more people started street skating because like growing up in San Francisco, we didn't have access to ramps. You know, no one we knew had a backyard that would allow a big ramp to be to be built in it. Um, so we we just hit the streets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, search, search, and that's another beauty of skating is is the is the seeking aspect of it, um, new terrain, and just in, you know uh, keeping it interesting. And it's still that way. Skaters, you know, are just always on the hunt and search for something new. Um, so music and skating have a long history together, you know, that you brought up already the punk influence that, yeah, that, that reminds me when I first reached out to you, I said something about, um, like punk and reggae. Cause I think there's a really fascinating background of those two that really emanate from a similar place of, 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 of feeling just really disengaged Good. and marginalized, you know, they, they're the British, you know, all these white lower class British punks, and then these black lower class Jamaicans, all of them kind of getting fucked by the British overall. And then the, the anti-Thatcherism and anti-Reagan and things like that. And I grew up in South Florida in Palm Beach County, um, surfing and listening to reggae, but I'm sure there were people in my neighborhood who were skating and listening to punk, you know, but like, I just, I kind of went a different way. But then as I, I learned later, uh, I got a, a, my, my minor at Florida state, I went to Florida state for my undergrad was in religion. And I just had taken so many classes that I was, I could get a minor. I just had to write a paper, like a, a minor little dissertation kind of thing. So I wrote it on um, punk and reggae and I tied in the Rastafarian element of it to make it fit religion, but it really wasn't much about religion, but uh, I was amazed at how much overlap there is. And then John Lydon, you know, the Sex Pistols, um, he, I read this not that long ago, but one of the labels sent him to Jamaica to recruit local talent to try to compete with Ireland because he knew so much about reggae because there was so much respect kind of between the two communities. So I always thought that was pretty fascinating because I don't think a lot of people walking down the street would think about punk and reggae in the same sentence, but you know, the, they, they kind of originate in a similar spot. But, yeah. You know, it, it's, there's a real interesting history. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's always the disenfranchised, you know, because you can always find some kind of common ground mm-hmm. within within that. So I think it bring it can bring people together. Yeah, you know that with skateboarding, skateboarding and punk were the, it was the exact same thing. Sure. It was all both same idea of like fuck you, I'm mm-hmm. gonna live my life the way I'm gonna live it. I don't care what you think, right. and that's why skating went hand in hand. You know, in the early late '70s, early '80s, everybody. Everyone listened to punk who was a skater. All right. Everyone punk bands. <laughs> well, then that begs the question, your music isn't really punk. Um, so how would you describe your music? Like you call it? Oh, uh, man. You know, I've been asked that so many times. It's really hard to answer. Um, yeah, it's a hard thing to, to narrow down. It's because it's, you know, it's really eclectic. I'm drawing from all different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just... I don't know, man. I, I kind of see it as, I don't know. 
groove groove music is what I used to kind of just call it as, man. Mm -hmm. You know, like because and but also there's you know some you know instrumental melodic. I don't know instrumental music. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I see that. Okay, everybody always. It's funny because there's people even to this day who get hip to my music and um, will will be surprised because they know I'm a skater and they're like, oh, it's you know, you know they would expect it to be punk. And the I thing is, that. first of all, I'm an old man. Second of all, I I was playing punk in '78 to '84, right? I, and, and so I was actually after a handful of years, I started learning how to play my instrument and wanted to progress. And so you listen to different things and you start branching out and getting, you know, just trying to expand. And um, so my music style is, is definitely not punk, but th- at the heart of it and the ethos is very punk. Okay. That's all, what I wanted to know. Yeah. That's kind of what I wanted all, to know. It's all DIY. I do everything myself. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's in the same spirit of, of out of necessity of needing to do something um, or wanting to do something. You just figure it out on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's the same. It's, it's the same thing. Same thing with punk. You just picked up your instrument, and you're like, I don't know how to play. I've never, you know, played an instrument, but we're going to do it, and, and you, you just start doing it. We figured out. Yeah, that's how I was thinking about because when I was prepping for this, I'm like, man, it'd be a lot easier to make that link if his damn music had words in it where he's yelling at people and yeah. people, but most of it's instrumental. And but I'm thinking, all right, no, there's there's got to be the same the same thing that's going on. It's just, it's just showing itself in a different, a different form now. <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking, I was thinking about it and I was just, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing from a well, you know, there's some stuff down there and for whatever reason, it's trying to surface. And I think a lot of the time with me, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to communicate to people without language. Mm-hmm. And fortunately my music has resonated with people all over the world. And, you know, number one, if, if, if there were lyrics in English attached to it and my, in some sort of idea or notion or, or whatever it is, um, then you're anchored to that person, person's thoughts, you know, it's like any, you know, vocal music, you don't have a way to interpret it on your own. Yeah, it's, it kind of frees up, frees people up to interpret it the way they want to. Completely, and that's and that's, um, I think, uh, pretty universal. Um, so what made me start this whole discussion about art and I, I, you said you see yourself as a creative person. And so I'm going to kind of co-op that and to make it talk about art for a minute is I read an interview with Joni Mitchell years ago, where she said, uh, when the world's a mess and there's no one at the helm, that's the time for artists to make their mark. And she was talking, you know, we got Trump going on and we've got, you know, this is before George Floyd gets murdered by the police, but it's like the Trump stuff going on and some other things happening and, you know, society kind of a disarray. And she said, that's when artists need to make their mark. And so I thought that was kind of fascinating. And, you know, she sees herself as a painter as much, if not more than as a musician. And she's this 
rock and roll hall of fame musician, but she's a wonderful painter too. So uh, she's been involved in art all of her life. And that made me start to think, well, let me talk to some people. So I talked to musicians. I talked to some poets some writers, you know, just kind of what, what they think about that. So do you think however you view your art, whether that's involved in skateboarding or involved in music, is there more of an urgency to do it now, to be involved now, to kind of guide when we have all this turmoil in society, or does it exist on a plane that's kind of separate from the day-to-day banal, you know, lives that most people are living? Uh, I, you know, people make music for different reasons. <clears throat> um, I just, uh, my, I have a new record that's being pre-mixed right now, and I, I recorded it all during the pandemic. And with, ev- with everything going on during that time, you know, I, I shifted this, this album's a, a bit different than my last previous albums, which, you know, draw from, from like more funk and soul and jazz and Afrobeat and Ethio jazz and so forth. It draws from that kind of well of like, um, you know, soul music. That's what I kind of feel mm-hmm. like music sure. is from a really place of depth. But this shifted a little bit because I was trying to, I wanted to make something more quote unquote, sort of beautiful, you know, um, sonically lush and just, and just more, um, a bit more atmospheric, but also very melodic still, of course, you know, that's on a thread. Um, but I, so I wanted to shift a little bit. And so this next album is definitely different than my last. And it was because of what we were going through in the moment because of the state of um society in america and the divisions that were being sowed were just uh you know it's a difficult thing to see and to know that's happening but even though it's being manufactured by a very few amount of people and so so this next record definitely was born from from that from that moment in time which i'm you know often often i'll reflect on um what is going on in you know in society or in the world and i'll usually title songs like i have songs in the past i'll title them um that can be based on something that's happening in the moment you know um whether it be whatever it is you know i've there's a lot of different titles out there that that reflect during uh, you know, tumultuous times. Sure. Yeah, that's that's really neat because uh, I think some people are reacting to this time like the Sledford mods, you know, kind of like getting louder and like, you know, like, man, just pissed off, you know. And then there's also like a need for just some some pastoral beauty, you know, and some like soothing kind of uh, as well. And so I'm glad there's people doing both because I think both, you know, <laughs> probably, probably. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Is there something you think that keeps the, uh, I saw a quote from Scott uh, Carrier. He's got a really good podcast called Home of the Brave. And he was trying to figure out what makes community work. Like what kind of people or participation or structures makes things work instead of falling apart. And in the, like the skating community, is it, is it that ethos in the music community too? Is it the ethos of, is it the DIY thing you think that keeps people together? It sounds strange to say it's do it yourself, but yet that connects or you think there's, there's something else that like, I'm sure you feel some sort of um, connection to people that are doing similar kind of stuff as you artistically and creatively. Is that what, what is it you think that I'm just looking for hope that we can figure out how to go, forward it, positively it's the love of what you're doing and you're and the love of what it is like i love skateboarding i love everything about it you know um and if you have that 
that kind of love for something, you know, this person next to you does and that person does and so forth. And you can all bond specifically just on that. Um, And, and that definitely creates community because you have something in common right away. And that's how it used to be in skating, like in the early eighties or even late seventies, there was hardly any skaters around. You'd see a couple and immediately, immediately you're like, Oh, there's my, right. Yep. Regardless, I don't even know that person, but he's riding a skateboard or she's riding a skateboard. We got something in common. All right. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to that commonality and love for something, just like music, like musicians. You just, if you love music, it's like, man, you know, you can definitely bond on that um, mm-hmm. and build on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Last one. Uh, so, a difficult question, but I like to ask people this one kind of at the end now that, you know, when they're all warmed up. But uh, if you could choose one thing to make positive, however you define positive social change um, in America, like if you were the czar for a day, kind of what would you be, what would you do? And, and for me, just as an example, I, I tend to think of um, like our political duopoly that we only have these two parties and they're both kind of similar and they're mostly just kind of rich, powerful people and they're fighting against each other. Like, I think we need to change our political structure in a way that's more inclusive. That's just one example from like a sociological perspective. But what about you? If you could, if you had a magic bullet to make positive social change in the U S what would be your, your first step? Well, I think, I think getting people together to talk is probably would probably yield the most reward because if you get people to discuss everyday topics, everyday situations, families, friends, you know, whatever it may be, everyone starts to understand how similar we all really are. Mm -hmm. I mean, very basics of life are, we're all after the same things, you know, just hopefully a little bit of happiness, safety, um, healthy for family, love for our children, the best for, you know, that you can possibly achieve for your family and so forth. And just understanding that it's all the basics. We're all, we're all very much the same, you know, then, then from there, you know, things tend to shift, whether it's religious beliefs or certain philosophies or ideologies and so forth. But if you can just start on that base and, and get everyone together and go, oh, yeah. I, but, you know, sports is one of those things that do, does bring people together, which mm-hmm. is which is the one aspect of it that I do dig. Because, you know, the San Francisco Giants just had a big game last night. They lost. They got but screwed. you can see. I got screwed by that yeah. umpire on that call. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I'm a big sports guy. But <clears throat> but but seeing that energy and that camaraderie and, and the togetherness, regardless of people's backgrounds, mm-hmm. it, that's, that's where you can start to find common ground mm-hmm. and start to break that ice, you know, and, and, and then start to understand that, uh, you know, we are really quite a bit alike, regardless of, yeah. of all of the other shit that you hear out there, all the other noise. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how, how you would do that. Um, that's the follow-up question. Can can skateboarding and can music, like your kind of core identities, can they can they contribute to that? Yes. It seems like they it, could, even though skateboarding is not a sport, it seems like they could. Especially music. Um, I don't know anyone who doesn't like music. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and, you know, unfortunately for me, what I do is instrumental stuff. So, therefore, you don't have the language barrier. You don't have, I'm not sending a message, a vocal message uh, of my beliefs or opinions and so forth. 
Um, I think that it can bring people together. And I do know there are people out there who dig my music who I probably wouldn't see eye to eye with politically. Sure. Um, sure. But, but then we have that bridge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think it's extremely important to have those bridges just to be able to get everyone to understand that, Hey, we're all trying to just exist here. <laughs> we're trying to do our best. Let's have some common respect for each other. You know? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That's good. That's a good stopping point. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. I, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's great to meet you, Tommy. Right on. You too. Thanks again. See ya. You've been listening to an interview with Tommy Guerrero on our social landscape, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you did, please take a minute to follow, like, rate, and share the podcast in all the usual places. I thank Tommy for taking the time to engage in a real friendly chat. I've followed his music since 2001, but I had to do a lot of self-educating about skating along the way. Mike Lohr and Jim Dumlop of Mystic Surfboards helped me fill in some gaps, so I appreciate their help. A fun element of this interview, and my preparation for it, was the serendipitous moments of confluence that popped up between people and places for me. For example, a few years ago, I took an anxiety-filled 14-hour plane ride to Germany and listened to a song by the Matson 2 and Ray Barbie over and over to calm my nerves. I've since learned that not only was Ray Barbie a member of the Bones Brigade, but that Tommy actually played on that album as well. Crazy how things come together sometimes. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the interview, and I'll remind you that one of the purposes of this blog is to engage in public sociology. For me, the goal is to engage academic and non-academic audiences in critical discussions of social issues that are typically confined to the academic world, but it doesn't work if I'm the only one talking. So please feel free to sign up for the blog and become a member, which simply entails creating a username and a password. Then you can comment after each post. At the very least, please feel free to email me your comments, and I'll be sure to respond. I'll post a link to Tommy's work on my page, as well as a song list, and if you're feeling so inclined, you can push the yellow donate button on the homepage. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at jr at our Thanks for listening.